G'day and welcome to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm your host, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and today I am super excited to have another interview. And this uh, interview is with Vernie Ryan. Mm. Now, I won't uh, describe what Vernie is. I'll let him do that because uh, we, we talk about that uh, early on in the interview. Um, but I, what I will say is, is Vernie's a, a super nice guy and is very well known around the industry, in, uh, which is sustainable housing and design and uh, environmental issues in general. Um, he's got a vast amount of experience in the area. He, he does describe himself as a bit of a generalist, but he does have a lot of detailed information and experience as well. Uh, both here and overseas. So um, I'll let him do the talking because uh, he has some great stories to share and and uh, I hope you enjoy um, either meeting and hearing from Vernie for the first time or from uh, uh, hearing a little bit more about him if, if you've already uh, come across Vernie before. So um, enjoy the interview and uh, we'll talk to you at the end of the show. Alrighty, so what I thought I'd start with was just asking you um, to give us an, a bit of background about yourself, kind of who you are and what you do. I don't know. Do you, do you have a job? Do you do you kind of describe what do you describe yourself as? Sure, I'm unemployed. <laughs> um, well, essentially, when people ask, I do usually have a fairly difficult time describing what I do. Yeah. Uh, so um, I've got a raft of friends who think I'm actually some sort of strange covert spy or work for the government or something. But essentially, it's because I, I do have some some colleagues who wondered for the first few months if this Vernie guy actually existed. This is kind of an, an enigma. <laughs> well, we've got. I think we have that a lot, actually, people in our in generally our field, um, because all you do, ever do is hear about people sort of third hand. Um, but no, I, I usually describe myself as an environmental and energy consultant, and then they go, "Oh gosh, you know that sounds interesting." When I can tell they're probably switching off. But, um, <laughs> and then and then they'll say, "So what sort of thing do you do?" And so I describe to them because. What I think really it is, is I'm much more of a generalist than a specialist. Yep. So um, I do everything from, you know, working for a local authority on a climate change mitigation strategy through to working for an architecture firm trying to assist them in, in understanding the opportunities around sustainability. Right. Um, so it's very much, it's very diverse and uh, can be piecemeal at times. And I guess since being back in New Zealand, I've done quite a lot of research stuff. So it's become quite some of it has become quite research focused. Yeah. Um, so I, there's nothing that really sums up in one word, uh, or a typical job anyway. It's more defined by, like you say, the the jobs and the projects that you work on, rather than a role. Yeah, and I think that's possibly a a bit of a function of the changing nature of, um, for want of a better word, sustainability, the kind of field of sustainability. Yeah. Uh, in that it's very broad and yeah. and in a way what you're talking about is common sense. Um, so uh, the, the field is as well, broad. Well, for us it is, but uh, is it for everyone? Well, yeah, that's a good, um, you know, perhaps you need to define common sense at that <laughs> point. Uh, it. 
it's not i suppose what i mean really by that is it's not hugely complicated uh and it's right. but it's just that some people need a little bit of help getting over the line. So, for instance, the work I've done with an architecture firm, they sort of knew they needed to get into that green space a bit more, but they didn't quite grasp how to do that. And it was very easy to unlock that, I think, for them. Right. Um, and similarly, you know, you might have a local authority that wants to convince the, the ratepayers that, that they should be taking climate change seriously, but they don't quite know how to get that across to people or or what the tools might be for that so it's really yeah. just sort of tweaking common sense and uh i guess providing it in a format that people can easily digest and and see what they need to do to do something about the situation they might be in it's interesting you mention climate change because i'm not sure that uh how how um, important that is for for the average person in New Zealand at the moment. I mean, do you think maybe that's more in the psyche of uh, local councils or people with a, a, a sort of a wider responsibility than individual individual people? Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, and yet, this is one of the preeminent issues of our time. So. Um, it, it is a difficult issue because it doesn't resonate very clearly with people. And I think there's been a lot of miscommunication about it. Yeah, um, right. So, you know, if you go to Europe or uh, the UK, um, you know, the, the conversation there at a policy level in sustainability circles is is really all about climate change and carbon reduction programs. Yeah. Whereas uh, the things that, I guess the things that resonate for most people here are, uh, bench tops and uh, flat screen TVs. Yeah, I'd how, say or, that. Or possibly I mean, how how warm and healthy are my kids going to be? Yeah, absolutely, and, and and that may stem a little bit from uh, New Zealand's place in the world and and this feeling that you know what we do is not going to matter two hoots because China's pumping huge amounts of carbon into the atmosphere through their coal-powered stations. So, you know, why should we care? Um, And yet, you know, and that is part of the conversation is how do you get people collectively to understand that this is possibly one of the biggest issues facing humankind at the moment. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Simply because of the change, the the rapid change that it could bring uh, to bear on our culture, on our society, and and that's let alone all the other species on the planet that have been quite happily trundling along for millennia um, that are going to have to adapt very, very quickly if they're going to survive. Is that uh, all that big stuff uh, one of your big motivations for doing what you do? Yeah, I'd say it, it definitely is. The big stuff is, is, a, is a prime motivator, I suppose, uh, for trying to be part of a solution rather than part of the problem. Mm. Um, and having said that, you know, I struggle along with everyone else with, uh, you know, wanting to do go overseas and have travel and, you know. I you drive, just went to China. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I found myself in the, uh, and, and still do find myself, you know, flying to Wellington to discuss how to, how to lower carbon emissions and or yeah. flying off to, you know, ironic, when I was in the UK, I did a lot of travel through Europe trying to convince people about um, the need to reduce carbon emissions. And, yeah. and it, it, it doesn't make sense in some ways, uh, but at the same time, you're not going to get anywhere if you sort of wrap yourself in a, in a sack and, yeah. uh, and don't 
and don't at least try to use some of the final resources that we might have yeah, to tackle yeah. the issues yeah. and to try and change culture and society for something a bit better. Hey, now, I, I noticed that uh, you didn't mention the word sustainability in your initial description. Is that intentional? No, it's not. It's not intentional at all. I, I do. I mean, I still get a little bit offended by the fact that people claim that um, you know we shouldn't talk about sustainability anymore. Yeah. It's a very well recognised international word that describes trying to um, come to a, I guess, a, a position of balance mm. with our place in the world. So mm. I, I'm very happy to use the term. Mm. Um, it's just that I think really. It's an easy. It's easier to describe myself as, say, an energy and environmental consultant because people can more quickly uh, understand that it's about the environment, it's about green things, or it's about energy, it's about the, the sort of uh, fuels that we use and the electricity that we burn, yeah, as sure. opposed to sustainability, which for sometimes for general people, um, they may not it may not resonate as well with them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think the. Uh, it, probably got overused, uh, went out of vogue, and possibly the word sustainability is coming back into um, into play a little bit more now, probably in a, in a more correct usage of the term uh, as a result of that. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, some of these things are sort of almost dictated by fashion, which... Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is, ..is a little bit, uh, a little bit bizarre. You know, when I... So I've, I, I have always had a bit of a passion for things environmental and I, I, I was a member of Greenpeace at a very early age and I oh, remember right. speaking with a slightly geeky friend of mine about how we were members of Greenpeace and how uncool that was because at the time it was pretty uncool. Yeah, right. And then we joked about, oh, imagine, you know, in, in 15 years' time if it suddenly became really trendy to be a member of Greenpeace. and, and so Would um, you still be in it? I clearly just remember laughing at that, uh, the concept of it and now here we are where... You know, I would I would imagine probably forty percent, uh, at least, of your average young sort of teenage crowd would at least aspire to be a member of Greenpeace, even if they haven't fronted up with the with the readies to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I want to come back a little bit to um, how you came about doing what you do. Sure. Uh, yeah. Because I know you've you've done some pretty interesting uh, jobs, if you like, or uh, projects in in the past. What's the, the the short version of, of how you've come about to be a environ, environmental and energy consultant? Um, well, I did I sort of, I guess my degree was more in planning and resource management. Uh, and then I shot off to the UK for about 10 years. And whilst there, I worked for um, a local environmental charity there and then went to work for the building research establishment. Which was, that, was... was that an OE gone wrong or was that... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could describe it as that. I was um, initially uh, decided it would be great to sort of spread my wings and get a bit of overseas experience but as also taste a woman over there, as you do. Yep, as you mm. do that too. Yeah, although I'm happily married to her now so uh, <laughs> that worked out for now. Nice. Um, so... Uh, yeah, and, and I wasn't really planning on staying for that long, but then just, you know, one year turned into the next. And and the job opportunities, I think, are really good there. So the work that I was doing, particularly with the building research establishment, there was quite a lot of European partnership projects, which was pretty fascinating to take part in. And then... So that's well, that's BRE. Uh, yeah, 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 which is, you know, it's a, it's a huge, I guess, centre for building research 
uh, yeah, Jen. and so I mean, they're, they're certainly they are huge now, and uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, is it, what's their website? Uh, just bre.co.uk will get you there, and then and then from there you can kind of search to your heart's content. Uh, were they? I mean, were they that big and influential when you were there? Uh, I think they were probably um, they were definitely were big and influential, but at a very industry. Um, sort of almost behind the scenes kind of focus because they were right. they were a government department for a very long time. Yeah, right. So they didn't make a lot of noise, and then they were privatised. And uh, of course, part of being a large research consultancy like that is you have to then pitch for new work. So they they really upped their game in terms of how they sold themselves. Yeah, right. And and this would have been pre mandatory disclosure days of uh, in the. Um, Home inspections and uh, yeah, yeah. As far as energy certificates and go and so on go, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, it was. Um, you know, we're talking here. When I joined, I joined BRE probably in about um, ninety seven, ninety eight, right. and um, so then it was. You know, they hadn't really had the concept of the whole of Europe uh, joining together to come up with some common standards to look at. Uh, the energy efficiency of buildings. That was probably when back back when uh, New Zealand was uh, punching above its weight as a, as a clean, green country. Yes, it was, and that, that stood me in very good stead when I went to the UK and said I was from New Zealand. Right, um, which is know, interesting because it would probably be the, the exact reverse now. Uh, certainly there's, there's a lot to suggest that uh, UK are leaps and bounds ahead of us in terms of some of the things that they're implementing. Well, certainly in terms of their standards and the, the general building codes there, building codes and building standards are much higher in terms of the performance that you get out of the building as opposed to a sort of a minimum here. And what they do that's very clever there is they, they ramp them up uh, significantly year over year and they signal to industry that those changes are coming. So industry has a few years to prepare for the big changes ahead. And, so, and what's driving that? Uh, a lot of it is European legislation, uh, but then also I guess is Again, this big focus on uh, carbon reduction programs, and yeah. for a while there, the political, uh, I guess, yeah, the political setup was that the the two major parties there, the, the Conservatives and the Labor Party, were trying to outdo each other and how green they could be. Yeah. So each of them wanted to to get that high ground of being the greenest, the cleanest, greenest party with the best, you know, most environmental policies. Right. So. So that, of course, means that you end up drive, you have to drive policy in that direction as well. So there's a a trendy, uh, marketable ambition there, just to, to appeal to the general voting public. Yeah, I think so. But there's you... a is is there an economic pressure there as well from um, the climate change mitigation and and protocols well, and I, th- I think. Yeah, I think what happened there is that um, business started to get on board because of the fact that they could make, they, they saw the significant savings that could be made on on basic energy bills. Right. So it, it That's just a novel idea. It, yeah, well, exactly. It came together as a bit of a no brainer, and you know some of the work that I was involved with in the UK was uh, in the hospitality industry, trying to save energy for hotel and pub chains. Right. Uh, and their eyes would glaze over if you talked to them about carbon emissions and all the rest yeah, of that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could tell them that they could add, you know, four percent to their profit margin, mm. um, they would, you know, they sat up and wanted to take notice. And how on earth could you do that? And then it's really just a question of could you save them, say, 
40, 50 percent of their energy bill, which, believe it or not, was not that hard to do for hotels. 50 percent. Uh, in some cases, we could save up to that just simply because they were in half. being so badly so badly run, so wastefully run. You know, you had, and this was in the days when tungsten bulbs were everywhere and, yep. um, you know, no, nobody really, well, particularly in the hospitality industry, they, they didn't feel that they should have compact fluorescent bulbs because they were somehow ugly and a bit down market. Yeah, so, which they probably were in those days. Yeah, yeah, and some of them definitely were. Um, but, the, you know, there are there are ways around a lot of that stuff and, and if you do it properly and you do it well, uh, then you can save a lot of energy and still keep that customer experience. So Yeah, right. It was basically trying to find ways of communicating that to them and uh, showing them how they could save huge amounts in their energy bill, which wasn't that difficult. Yeah. Um, so eventually you found yourself uh, back here in New Zealand. and um, Indeed. I know you've been involved with some pretty interesting stuff back here. What are, what are some of the highlights there? Uh, well, I guess, um, you know, the residential rating tool is definitely one of the highlights there because that was something that I'd seen coming to fruition in the UK as yep. far as the Code to Sustainable Homes is concerned. Right. Uh, and then the work that I was doing with Beacon Pathway, um, we became, I guess, fairly certain that uh, a single rating tool in this country would be a very useful mechanism to help drive industry and yeah. uh, and consumers into better higher performing homes. Yep. Um so yeah the work with Beacon Pathway was was very central to most of what I've done um in New Zealand which has been quite research focused but but again I think also we've done quite a lot of demonstration work and that's been really gratifying because you can actually show people I think that's really what makes it real for people is yeah, that they yeah. see the results from an actual household or, yeah. or some homeowners that have had their lives changed simply because they've got better insulation and um, a decent heating source in the house. And would it be fair to say that the, the, the two now homes would be one of the or two of the most significant outcomes from Beacon? I think that would be true to say, yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so that they're, how would you describe them, um, real-life examples of... Yeah, they're, they're um, real practice. life examples that it, it you can you can provide much higher performance in housing without having to put huge amounts of money into it. You know, and I think that was one of the things that everybody thinks that sustainable housing somehow is is something that you can do if you can afford to do it. Yeah. Uh, and what the Beacon Now Home sh- showed really was that with today's products and materials at roughly the same cost as building an ordinary home, you could get a home within the Auckland context that required heating on only one or two days a year uh, but had temperatures in it that were excessive World Health Organization recommended minimums. So, so that, that's that home you only need to heat one or two days a year? Yeah. The, not, the, not the typical house in Auckland right no, now? No, no, the typical house in Auckland. <laughs> like, I've got the heater on right now. <laughs> Four or I five, six that. months a year. I hope today's um, not one of my two days. <laughs> But the now home in Waitakere City, just simply by orienting it to the sun and having high levels of insulation and then some good thermal mass in the floor, they were able to have a house there that was beautifully comfortable all year round with no additional heating, effectively. For very little extra? For around about the same cost as building every home. So it was about $250,000 plus GST at that point in time. Which is, I mean, it's a staggering result when you walk into, I mean, it's, it's... June now, beginning of June, getting into winter, and every hardware store that I've been to is just a mess with all the latest heaters, which are yeah. pretty crap, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it's not hard to extrapolate the, the money that must be being spent on buying a heater and then running the heater yeah for sure to um to offset even if there was a premium on the on those houses yeah well that's absolutely right but you know time and again and i, and I guess some of my day-to-day work now is dealing with this struggle that you have where the building fraternity and developers will tell you that homeowners and consumers won't pay up front uh for for some additional comfort that might pay back after 10 years they're just that the message we get back all the time is is don't make it more expensive or the consumer's not interested because they yeah, buy right. on price pretty much they buy on price all the time so you have two identical houses next to next door to one another yeah and one of them's going to save you five hundred dollars a year uh, but it's five thousand dollars more expensive they'll go for the cheaper house right now i think that's largely a problem in the way that we've communicated it, that the real estate industry's communicated it, that the builder communicates it, rather than just that the homeowner somehow is too thick to, to do the maths on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and do you think it's also that there are lots of other benefits that aren't necessarily shown in that simple figure? And I'm thinking about health and and comfort as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, um I mean, as strange, strange it sounds, I think in, in some ways we do ourselves a, a terrible disservice when we focus on the payback periods. And yeah, um, it's a mistake. I think it is a mistake that I've seen repeated time and time again with energy campaigns where they, they simply think by, by making that cost comparison, yeah. the customer's going to go, oh, great, well, that all works out. It'll pay itself off after 10 years, so I'll, I'll do the sensible thing. Whereas yeah. If you just sold something to somebody on the basis that it's, yeah, as you say, going to be warm, cosy, healthy for their family, going to stop them being sick, you know, they don't have to hear how much more expensive it is or how many more days it's going to take to pay back. They'll just go for that one because it right. sounds like a much better bet. It does sound pretty uh, appealing, warm and healthy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty basic. You'd expect that from your house, really. That's what it should be doing is keeping you warm and healthy. Yeah, you'd think that, but I, I – th- Think I'm becoming more convinced that uh, that that's not the expectation. I think that's one of the key problems is that we have this culture of accepting the standard that we have, uh, which is pretty bad. I mean, we've we've there are papers published to show how bad it is on a on a global scale. The the, the state of our houses. Yeah. And I see it all the time that it's it's people that it's all the expats coming from the UK and and Canada that. Uh, tend to be the ones that install things like central heating or decent insulation or, or retrofit double glazing because um, they're not prepared to stand up with uh, the, what, what we've got to offer in terms of their stock standard housing. Yeah, that's right. Well, they, I mean, they have become accustomed to warm, comfortable houses. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. why would you go back if yeah. you have one of those? Whereas why would con- you go back? Conversely, I think as a nation, we've perhaps come accustomed to cold damp houses yeah i think that's very true sad but true hey um look we're, we're just about out of time i want to ask you what's uh one thing you're work working particularly well for you right now in your place um well it sounds very basic but it's probably the most important thing which is just high levels of insulation uh and for me because i live in a in a renovated villa yeah um, that was renovated before I moved into it, and they didn't do a great job, I have to say, right. um, in some aspects, and they spent money in the wrong places. But I've topped up the insulation 
with a with a fairly thick sort of three hundred mil blanket. Right. Uh, did you do it laid. yourself? Yeah, I did do that myself in the end, out of frustration, because uh, I had a number of people come and have a look at it. And in the end, I had someone from a fairly reputable company, which I won't name, uh, kind of look at me in a sad way and go, God, wouldn't you do it yourself, though, mate? (laughs) So, (laughs) you know. Did they know who you were? I guess I better had. Uh, No, no, I don't think they did. They were just taking me at face value. I did quite a lot of of mystery shopping, actually. Do you? That'll yeah. be harder for you to do, I would imagine, as people get to know uh, Vinnie right. Um, maybe I don't. I don't know. It doesn't seem to stop them cold calling me. Um, so <laughs> I've had interesting um, home ventilation people in. Let's just say. Well, that's that's a topic for uh, for another day. I think. Yeah, well, I think it probably would be. But so, uh, yeah, so, so topping up your was that ceiling insulation or under floor? Yeah, no ceiling insulation because they can't fit under the floor. Right. Sadly, it's not not got enough clearance there. So the ceiling insulation and it, and it does just it just makes such an instantaneous difference to how warm the house is. Right. So you, you uh-huh. noticed uh, a clear difference before and after. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and I think what I'm what I'm in the process of doing that now is replacing my downlights so that I can get that that coverage uh, right way across the ceiling. Yet another conversation for another day. Probably. <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, thank you very much, uh, Verdi, for your time. Really appreciate that, and uh, we'll we'll catch up again uh, sometime later. Sounds good. Thanks, Matthew. Awesome. So there you go. There was our interview with Vernie Ryan. Um, now, Vernie mentioned a few things in that interview. One was BRE, and I'll put a link to uh, them in the show notes, and also Beacon Beacon now, uh, and the Beacon Now Homes. There, there's a whole bunch of information uh, available from uh, Beacon Pathways and the, the Now Homes that they built, and they're well worth checking out. And also the residential rating tool that Vernie referred to during the interview is uh, now Homestar. And Vernie, perhaps being the the modest guy he is, was very instrumental and influential in setting that up. So um, credit where credit's due. Vernie had definitely uh, played a big role in in getting that up um, up, up and running. So definitely check out uh, homestar.org.nz as well. And, uh, of course, check out our website at homestylegreen.com. And, as always, you can contact me at comments at homestylegreen.com. And I, I do uh, really look forward to getting some uh, questions and also some specific feedback as well. And, uh, yeah, feel free to leave uh, your comments uh, in iTunes as well. Thank you for your time and thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again, uh, if not a couple of weeks, then maybe next week. <laughs>